0: Chapter 19 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19: A Stormy Night. The Reverend Thomas Hardenow, Fellow and Tutor of Brazen Nose, strode into his own room at full speed and stopped abruptly at the sight of the carrier. Of all men, most I have avoided thee was in his mind, but he spoke it not, though being a strongly outspoken man not that he ever had done any wrong to make him be shy of the cripps race but that he felt in his heart a desire for commune which must be dangerous he knew that in him lurked a foolish tendency towards esther and which was worse he knew that she had done her best to overcome a still more foolish turn towards him cripps however who would have fed the doves of venus on black peas looked upon any bygone courting as a social and congenial topic enabling a quiet man to get on if he only had a good memory with almost any woman like a sensible man he had always acquitted hard now of any blame in the matter knowing that young girl's fancies may be caught without any angling if her chose to be a fool how were he to blame for it and the carrier never forgot the stages of social distinction servant sir therefore said with his usual salaam hope i see you well sir thank you zachary said mr hardenow taking the carrier's horny palm which always smelled of straps and buckles and trying to squeeze it with a passive result i am pretty well zachary thank you then you don't look it sir that you don't we heerd you was getting on wonderful well but the proof of the puddin ain't in you sir that's right Crips cried overshute give it to him cripps why he starves himself ever since he took his first and second and got fellowship and took orders he hasn't known what a good dinner is he keeps all the fasts in the calendar and the vigils of the festivals and he ought to have an appetite for the feasts but he overstays his time and can't keep anything on his stomach now rustle as usual hardenow answered with a true and pleasant smile What a fine fellow you would be if you only had moderation. But I see that you want to talk to Cripps, and I have several men waiting in the quad. Where is my beaver? Oh, here, to be sure. Will you come with us? No, of course you can't. Will you dine in hall with me? Of course I won't. But come you and dine with me on Sunday, the only day you dare eat a bit, and my mother will do her best to strengthen you, build you up establish you for a fortnight of macaroni will you come yes yes tomorrow to be sure i have many things i want to say to you good-bye for the present good-bye master cripps there goes one of the finest fellows of all the fine fellows yet ruined by rubbish with these words russell overshute ran to the window and looked out a dozen or more of young men were waiting THE BEST UNDERGRADUATES OF THE COLLEGE, FOR MR. HARDENOW TO LEAD THEM FOR FIFTEEN MILES WITHOUT A WORD. WELL, EVERY MAN TO HIS LIKING, SAID RUSSELL, BUT THAT WOULD BE ABOUT THE LAST OF MINE. NOW, Cripps, MOST PATIENT OF CARRIERS, ARE YOU READY FOR ME TO GO ON OR NOT? I HATH BEEN THINKING ABOUT MY HORSE. HOW GREEDY OF ME TO BE HATING LIKE THIS. FOR THE THOUGHT OF SO MUCH FASTING HAD MADE HIM SET TO AGAIN while he got the chance drinking likewise of college ale better i have tasted but not often and all this time as you might say old dobbin easing of his dainty foot with no more nor a wisp of hay to drag through his water if he hath any an excruciating picture cripps drawn by too vivid a conscience dobbin is as happy as he can be with twenty-five horses to talk to him at this very moment i behold him munching choicest of white oats and chaff your worship can see through a stone wall they say but they only keeps black oats at the cross just now along of a contract the landlord have made and a blind sort of bargain to my thinking never mind that let him have black oats then or irish oats or no oats at all but do you wish to hear my story out or will you leave it till next saturday sir you might have seen as i was waiting until such a time as you please to go on with him very well cripps that satisfies the most exacting historian i will go on where i left off if that point can be established well i left the foreman of the nursery telling me about the man he sent with the bag of potatoes to the oxford coach he told me he was one of his sharpest hands who had been off work for a week or two then and had only returned that morning joe smith was his name and when they could get him to work he would do as much work as any two other men in the place he might be trusted with anything if he only undertook it but the worst of him was that he never could be got to stick long to anything here to-day and gone to-morrow had always been his character AND THEY THOUGHT THAT HE MUST BE OF GYPSY RACE AND PERHAPS HAD A WANDERING FAMILY. THIS MADE ME A LITTLE CURIOUS ABOUT THE MAN, AND I ASKED TO SEE HIM. BUT THE FOREMAN SAID THAT FOR SOME DAYS NOW HE HAD NOT BEEN NEAR THE NURSERY, AND THEY THOUGHT THAT HE WAS ON THE OXFORD ROAD IN THE NEIGHBOURHOOD OF NETTLEBED. AND ANOTHER THING, IF I DID SEE HIM, I COULD NOT MAKE OUT MORE THAN HALF HE SAID, FOR THE MAN HAD SUCH A DEFECT IN HIS VOICE. "'that only those who were used to him could be certain of his meaning. "'Suddenly I thought of your sister's tale, and I said to the foreman, "'Does he speak like this?' "'Imitating as well as I could your sister's imitation of him. "'You know the man, sir,' the foreman answered. "'You have got him so exactly that you must have heard him many times.' "'I told him no more, but asked him to describe Joe Smith's appearance.' he answered that he was a tall dark man loosely built but powerful with a stoop in his neck and a long sharp nose and he generally wore a brown pointed hat cripps you may well suppose that my suspicions were strong by this time here was your sister's description so far as the poor girl could see in the dusk and the fright confirmed to the very letter and here was the clear opportunity offered for slipping the wreath of hair into the bag. Your worship, now, your worship, you be a bit too sharp. If that there man were at Headington quarry at nightfall of the Tuesday, how could he possibly been to Maidenhead next morning? No, no, your worship, be too sharp. Too thick, you mean, Cripps, and not sharp enough. But listen to me for a moment those long-legged gypsies think very little of going thirty miles in a night though they never travel by day so and then there is the up mail coach of course he would not pay his fare but he might hang on beneath the guard's bugle with or without his knowledge and slip away at the changing houses of that objection i think nothing it serves to my mind as a confirmation very well sir said cripps discreetly who be i for to argify no cripps of course not but still i wish to allow you to think of everything you may not be right but still i like you to speak when you think of anything that is what i have always said and contend for continually let every man speak when sensible your worship hath hit the mark again the old squire saith let no man speak as st paul saith to the women but your worship saith let all men speak all women likewise as hath a tongue and then you stoppeth us both the more by restirecting all on us women or men whichever a may happen till such time as all turns up sensible now there never could be such a time carrier you are satirical keep from the dusty anvil Marry a wife, and you will have a surfeit of argument at home. But still you have been very good on the whole, and you never will get home to-night. At any rate, I was so convinced, in spite of all smaller difficulties, that I bound the foreman to let me know, by a man on horseback, at any expense, the moment he saw Joe Smith again. And his parting words to me were these, Well, sir, don't you think harm of Joe without sure proof against him? he is a random chap i know but i never saw a better man to earn his wages well i went back to the inn at once and rode leisurely to henley it was raining hard and the river in flood with all the melted snow and so on when i crossed that pretty bridge i had been trying in vain to think what was the best thing i could do not liking to go home and leave my new discovery so vague but being soaked and chilly now i resolved to have a glass of something hot for fear of taking a violent cold and losing perhaps a week by it so i went into the entrance of that good inn by the waterside and called for some brandy and water hot the landlord was good enough to come out and knowing me from old boating days he got into a talk with me i had helped him at the sessions about a house of his at dorchester and nothing could exceed his good will remembering now the gipsies hang about the boats in the waterside i asked him quite as a random shot whether any of them happened to be in the neighbourhood just now he thought perhaps that i was timid about my dark ride homeward and he told me all he knew of them there was one lot as usual in the open ground about noonham and another large camp near chalgrove and another quite a small pitch that on the edge of the firs above Nettlebed. This last was a lot for me, and I pressed him so about them, and he looked at me with a peculiar grin. What do you mean by that? I asked. Now, Squire Overshoot, as if you did not know, he answered, doth your worship happen to remember Cinnamenta's name? Cripps, I assure you, I was astonished. Of course you knew Cinnamenta. Well, I don't want to be interrupted. No one could say any harm of her, and a lovelier girl was never seen. The landlord had heard some bygone gossip about Cinementa and myself. I did admire her. I am not ashamed to say that I greatly admired her, and so did every young fellow here, who had got a bit of pluck in him. I will not go into that question, but you know what Cinementa was. Cripps nodded, with a thick mixture of feelings his poetical self had been smitten more with cinnamonta than he cared to tell and his practical self was getting into a terrible hubbub about his horse to be sure your worship was all he said very well now you understand me to hear of cinnaminta being in that camp at Nettlebed made me so determined that i laid hold of the landlord by the collar without thinking he begged me not to ride off with him or his business would be ruined and feeling that he weighed about eighteen stone i left him on his threshold I could not bear to ask him now another word of anything, knowing looks and winks and reeking jokes so irritate me, when I know that a woman is pure and good. You remember how we all lost Cinnaminta? Three or four score of undergraduates, reckless of parental will, had offered her matrimony, and three or four newly elected fellows were asking whether they could vacate if they happened to jump the broomstick all that were too fine to last muttered cripps most sensibly but her ought to have had a sound man on the road a man with a horse well seasoned and a substantial cart ought. oh then cripps you are smitten too a nice connection for light parcels well never mind the whole thing is over and we are sadder and wiser men but we like to know who the chief sufferer is what man has won the beauty and with this on my mind i rode up the hill and resolved to go through with my seeking when i got to the end of the fair mile the night came down in earnest you know my young horse cantaloupe freckled like a melon he knows me as well as my old dog and a child can ride him but in the dark he gets often nervous and jumps across the road if he sees what he does not consider sociable so that one must watch his ears whatever the weather may be and now the weather was bad as man or horse could be out in. All day there had been spits of rain with sudden puffs of wind and streaks of green upon the sky, and racing clouds with ragged edges. You remember the weather, of course. Wednesday is one of your Oxford days. Well, I hope you were home before it began to pelt as it did that evening. For myself I did not care one fig. I would rather be drenched than slowly sodden but i did care for my horse because he had whistled a little in the afternoon and his throat is slightly delicate and the whirr of the wind and the hedge and the way it struck the naked branches back like the clashing of clubs against the sky were enough to make even a steady old horse uneasy at the things before him moreover the road began to flash with that peculiar light which comes upward or downward who can tell and reckless tumults of air and earth the road was running like a river come here and go there like glass it shone with the furious blows of the wind striking a pale gleam out of it i stooped upon cantaloupe's neck or the wind would have dashed me back over his crupper suddenly in this swirl and roar my horse stood steadfast he spread his forelegs legs and stooped his head to throw his balance forward and his mane which had been lashing my beard, swished down in a waterfall of hair. I was startled as much as he was, and in the strange light stared about. You have better eyes than I have, I said, or else you are a fool, can't he? I thought that he was a fool until I followed the turn of his head, and there I saw a white thing in the ditch. Something white, or rather of a whitey-brown color, was in the trough, with something dark leaning over it. Who are you there i shouted and the wind blew my voice back between my teeth not to you master not to you go on and look to your own concerns this rough reply was in a harsh high cackle rather than a human voice but it came through the roar of the tempest clearly as no common voice could come for a moment i had a great mind to do exactly as i was ordered but curiosity and perhaps some pity for the fellow stopped me i will not leave you my friend i said until i am sure that i can do no good the man was in such trouble that he made no answer which i could hear so i jumped from my horse who would come no nearer and holding the bridle i went up to sea in as sheltered a spot as could be found but still in a dripping and weltering place lay or rather rolled and kicked a poor child in a most violent fit don't he now my little tom don't he that's a dear he don't the man kept coaxing and moaning and trying to smooth down little legs and arms let it have its way i said only keep the head well up and try to put something between the teeth without any answer he did as i bade and what he put betwixt the teeth must have been his own great thumb of course he mistook me for a doctor none but a doctor was likely to be out riding on so rough a night ah how i do pity they poor chaps cried carrier cripps who really could not wait one minute longer many a night i mates em starting for ten or twenty mile of it just when i be in the smell of my supper and nort but nightcap arterward leastways i mean arter pipe and hot summit "'Your worship'll scuse me a breakin' in, "'but there's half my errands to do yet, "'and the sun gone flat on the ratcliff. cliff "'The Lord knows if I shall get home to-night, "'but if I do, might I make so bold "'your worship be comin' to see poor squire? "'Your worship is not like some worships be, "'and I has got a rare drop of fine old stuff. "'Your worship is not the man to take me crooked. "'I means no liberty, mind you. "'Of that I am certain.' "'Mr. Overshoot answered. "Cripps, your suggestion just hits the mark. "'I particularly want to see your sister. "'That was my object in seeing you, "'and I did not like to see her "'until you should have had time to prepare her. "'I have several things to see to here, "'and then I will ride to Beckley. "'Mrs. Hookham will give me a bit of dinner "'when I have seen my dear friend the squire. "'At night I will come down and smoke a pipe "'and finish my story with you.' as soon as i am sure you have had your supper never you pay no heed at all said master cripps with solemnity to no thought of my supper sir be that entire what you worships call a secondary consideration however i will havin if so be i can and you mustn't go for to think sir that go i would now if stay i could i goes without their story the same as the jog of a cart to the trot of a nag my wits capes on a goin up and down, but business is a piece of the body, sir, but no sleep for me, nor no church to-morrow without I hears the last o that there tale, End of Chapter Nineteen.